Thank you. Okay, so we are, you know, I, I, every week I'm like, okay, I've, I've said I bought the commentaries, I'm, I'm looking, I keep reading Colossians, I'm like, okay, Colossians, 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 and then I keep on going back to this attachment love, and this was actually the Ezekiel passage, was the passage uh, in the lectionary, and as I was praying and processing about what I thought God might be saying to us this week, I was just um, directly challenged personally, um, as a shepherd, as a pastor, which is clearly the case here. Um, but then I also found so much life in reading these and in, in reflecting on what God's promises are here. So um, in the bulletin, I keep on having kind of this, this these same questions, but it says, you are loved. Um, but I changed it a little bit. And I said, but what love are you attached to and why? So you are loved, but what love are you attached to and why? So I want you to consider that this morning. I do have a few questions, more than one, for us to reflect on. Um, And the reason for it is because these questions set the scene for what Ezekiel is doing in this passage. So if we don't really understand how we define certain things and how we kind of, uh, our faith is shaped, I don't know that these promises that God is making emphatically clear will make sense to us in a really profound way. So the first question I have is, how do you define sin? So take a moment, think about it, and then talk amongst yourselves. How do you define sin? Like, what is your operating definition of sin? The next question that I have is, how do you think God views sin? So the first question is, how do you view sin? How do you define sin? How do you think God views sin? How do you think, and if you want to even become more adventurous, how do you think God views your sins? Because we all do it. So uh, take a moment, think about it. How do you think God views sin? And then talk. How do you think God approaches you when he looks at your sin? The next question. How do you think God responds to your sins, your specific sins? And of these three questions, I would say this is the most critical. How do you think? When God, when you have sin, and the great thing is, is that we're an equal company. There's not a person in this room that hasn't sinned. So we can't judge each other. So we can be vulnerable and honest and say, how do you think God responds to your sins? How do you see God responding to your sins? Tolerance? Forgiveness? You hope? In a way, I can imagine we kind of harbor you because if sin would be something that you know, separates or distracts you from God, then you know, you'd be like, oh, well, why did they continue to, to do something that would take you further away from God? Mm. You know, God just promises you know, that to have the best plan for you. Mm. So he responds in like a, a heartbroken manner. Okay. Like deep lament, maybe? Longing. Longing. Okay. What else? How do you think God responds to your sin? Because if we all like genuinely felt this way, then I feel like probably our, our walk with God would be a lot more confident and secure and bold. But I think sometimes, do you think that God's ashamed of you? Or angry with you? 
frustrated with you? Frustrated disappointment. disappointment. So like the first answers are all the good answers, but then as we get pull back the layers a little bit, I think some of the ways, like um, using the kid example, because I really appreciate that, um, my children know that I'm a loving father, but when they get like when one gets in trouble at school, the first thing he tells his teacher is, please don't call my dad. <laughs> and that's not going to change. Yeah, um, but there's a reason that doesn't, doesn't reflect how I love my children. It reflects how they interpret my love. That's an entirely different thing. And this is largely an interpre- interpretation question. How do you interpret God's love towards you when you sin? How do you think God responds to you? Do you think that he pushes you away? See, separate, for example, is a tricky word because even the way that we define sin, right? So we say anything that separates us from God. But is God Emmanuel, God with us? And is he that regardless of what we do? See, these are the kind of questions that we have to start asking yourselves. And I'm looking at all your faces like, man, this is maybe too deep for t- today. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh my gosh. That's why I wanted to bring up these passages in Ezekiel. And I thought, um, because generally speaking, the book of the, these prophets, these are things that maybe um, we don't dive into very frequently. We kind of tend more towards the Gospels. Um, so I wanted to give us a little bit of a reminder of Ezekiel's role as a prophet. So he is a professional shepherd, not like literally with sheep, but he's somebody that is responsible for shepherding Israel, and more specifically as a prophet. And so the, his book, um, it's actually one of my favorite books by a prophet is Ezekiel, um, because it's so all over the place, and I, I feel like he is just raw and real and honest. Um, but it's broken up into three different parts. So I wanted to, I, I copied and pasted something that we could um, kind of understand where we are in Ezekiel 34. So go ahead and put that up, Tom. I'll read it for you. So this is just as in reference. So it says, the structure of the book reflects Ezekiel's theology. So Yahweh's holy wrath against his people's idolatries would cause Jerusalem to be destroyed, including her temple, the place of his presence, despite disbelief and protest to the contrary. So that's chapters 1 through 24. So chapters 1 through 24 is really there's Israel that is chasing after idolatry. So they're looking at all the nations around them, and they're saying, your gods are greater than our God. Your way of living is greater than our way of living. And so note, and I really appreciate what the author put here, He said, where is the wrath going? Towards the people or towards their idolatry? That's really critical. So Ezekiel is pointing out that all of God's wrath is pointed towards the idolatry. So all the ways that they themselves are separating from God. So it's not God, note, is separating himself. Although his presence does because he destroys the temple. But what's crazy is when God destroys the temple and his presence leaves from it, Ezekiel receives the presence of God. So even in that, God's presence is still with them in their idolatry. It's crazy. So, then, so that's chapters 1 through 24. So then the next uh, portion 
is now the nations surrounding Israel. Yahweh is also the sovereign God over all the nations, so they too will experience judgment because of their idolatries and sins. So that's chapters 25 and 32. So Ezekiel is saying, thus says the Lord towards this nation, towards this nation, and there's no nation that's absolved from that. So it's not just Israel, it's all the nations around it. Uh, and then the final portion of Ezekiel is, but Yahweh is a God of great mercy and compassion who intends to restore his people and be present with them once more. And that's chapters 33 through 48. So for this, these, this chapter 34 that we're reading, we have to understand that basically Israel were just a, a bunch of sinners. They were just all over the place. They were a hot mess every day, all day, right? And God is constantly through Ezekiel saying, hey, what are you doing? Why is it that my display nation is allowing all of these things to come in when you all are supposed to be a testimony to my greatness? So he's challenging them, he's warning them, he's challenging them, he's warning them. Then we see the utter destruction and fall. We see God judge the other nations. And then suddenly when you think that all hope is lost, he comes with this unbelievable promise and hope. And really chapter 34 is where that comes in. Now the chapter 40, 34... As a, as a shepherd, as a, as a pastor, is very challenging to me. If you wanted to follow along, it's on page 702. Um, but he's directly speaking first to the shepherds. So, he's, so shepherds in Israel were religious leaders and the kings. And so he's saying to the religious leaders and to the kings, you have not, this is verse 4 in chapter 34, you have not strengthened the weak, you have not healed the sick, you have not bound up the injured, you have not brought back the strayed, you have not sought the lost, but with force and harshness you have ruled them. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, he's just calling them out for all the ways that they're failing. And I, I you know, as a, as a pastor, I'm like, am I strengthening the weak? Am I a part of the healing of the sick? Haven't I been a part of binding up the injured? Have I been looking for those that have strayed? And it just keeps going. And as a result of Israel's leadership, now, note, God doesn't absolve Israel of their idolatry in the sense of, he doesn't say, because your leaders were trash, it's okay that you sinned. He doesn't do that. But what he's, he's recognizing is that leadership and responsibility. So how many of you are leaders? All of us. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have some form of leadership. So even in that, we're not absolved. He's just specifically directing some of the, of the attention to Israel's religious leaders and to, well, the king. So he's saying, you're not doing this, you're not doing this, you're not doing this, you're not doing this, you're not doing this. Then he goes to verse 11. For thus says the Lord, I want you to know from verse, verses 11 through 31, there are 26 I statements. So when you see that many I statements, that's God saying, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. So he's contrasting. These are all your experiences of things that people didn't do, but this is who I am and this is what I'll do. So this is a character of God passage. And he starts going. So he says, for thus says the Lord, which is, I mean, we're equating that to creation level. 
I say this. This is what I'm doing. I'm creating this. I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on day of clouds and thick darkness. So we know that Israel has been scattered. I mean, that was their history. But I want to talk about us for a moment. What has scattered you in your life? If you think through your life, and you think through your relationship with God, or maybe there, a lack thereof, what has scattered you in your relationship with God? What has... Um, now, some of it, as noted here, God is saying part of the reason why you scattered is because that the people that you trusted to lead you didn't do a good job. That's part of the reason why you're scattered. It's because the people that were responsible for your health and your well-being, your safety, your protection, your nourishment, they did a horrible job. And consequently, that's where the, the clouds come in the clouds in the thick darkness, that's, a, that's a, a statement saying, because of these difficult times that have come and for the, the lack of responsibility of people that are responsible for you, that's part of the reason why they've scattered. So he's acknowledging that. But then what are some of the reasons that, that I scatter? What are some of the reasons that you scatter? My sin? You know that, that term separation? It's like in Genesis, what did Adam and Eve do when they ate the fruit? Did they run to God? They hid. They scattered. It's like uh, there's been numerous times that I've walked into a room with kids that, that are doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. What do they do? They're like cockroaches when the lights turn on. They're like, Psh! And there's always that one that takes the blame, the sacrificial lamb, which is usually Titus in my family. Because um, he's not fast enough yet, I think. But there's... But so sin, right? Doing things that we know are not helpful and healthy for us. So we scatter. There's abuse. So leaders have used their leadership to abuse us in various forms. So we scatter, right? Like, do you want somebody to abuse you and hurt you? No. So what do you do? You get away. Another one that I wrote down is just hurt from people that are close to you. It's like when somebody breaks your trust, are you naturally ready to bring them close to you? What is your natural reaction? Push them away. And if they hurt you so frequently, you walk away. Um, another one that I put that has scattered me in the past is my doubt. My doubt that God could be that good. My doubt that God would be that loving. My doubt that he would look, me so, look at me so intentionally. That scatters me because I'm like, if I don't believe that this is true, then my natural inclination is to say, well, if this isn't true, I need to find what is true. Another thing that has scattered me, and it goes back to, to leadership, and I've been guilty of this, so I'm a part of it, is people that say that they're Christians, but they're not very Christ-like. There was a time in my life where I was like, oh, that's what a Christian means? No, thanks. If that's what that is, right? Um, and then another thing that just scatters me, and this is more along the, the lines of wandering, is life. Sometimes just life. 
It's not like we're doing anything wrong. It's not like we're in this grave sin. It's not that we've hurt people or been hurt. It's just life. We just kind of go through our daily, ordinary lives. And the next thing you know, we're like down the street and we don't even know how we got there. Can you relate to that? I, I want you to consider what has scattered you. For Israel, it was poor leadership and idolatry. It was ultimately them looking to other gods and other things for the hope that only Yahweh could bring them. That was God's concern when he put leadership over them. You understand if you have a king, you're going to look to the king instead of me. How many of us in this room, I won't make you raise your hand, are looking to other things for the hope that you're looking for rather than God himself? Ugh. Right? Man, Sean, you're coming out swinging today. But he says, and this is his promise, if you're scattered, what does he say that he will do? He will seek for you, not just herd you. He will look for you. And then what will he do? I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I mean, the promise that he's saying is that the most broken place that you could possibly be in, he will search out for you, and he'll rescue you from that. I ask myself, do I want to be rescued sometimes? Um, but I think the answer is yes. Yes, we want to be rescued. When you come up to those moments where you become aware of your wandering, because I mean, have you ever wandered before? Wandered aimlessly? Um, what are some of the feelings that you have when you're wandering and then you get lost? Have you ever been lost before? It's kind of hard with GPS and stuff like that today. You can maybe have to take it back to when you were a little kid. Oh, is that, is that easier? Okay. Thanks for your honesty. <laughs> uh, were you ever lost as a kid? And that feeling and the, the security that was around you, that's no longer there. I mean, can you imagine Israel, the security of the temple, this is where God's presence is. It's no longer there, and they're scattered in these other nations. I think about those, those dark times, like it says, those clouds of thick darkness. It's really easy to feel lost there. And it's in that moment that God says, I will come into your lostness and into your darkness and into the shadows that you're even afraid of, and I will meet you there. I will find you. I don't know if anybody else gets excited about that. I get excited about that. He says, not only will he find us and rescue us, but that he will bring his people out and get us. So all the people that are scattered... So now as individuals and all the things that they're going through personally and as small pockets of family, all of the spreading out that they've done, he will gather them back together. And he will bring them into their own land and he will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the water courses and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. So that's not like a psalm to you. I mean, he's just re-emphasizing over and over again. These are the things that he will do. And they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains. Notice how many times, I mean, he wants these, 
these lambs to be good and fed. I mean, think of how many times he's talking about food. Because he recognizes that we're hungry and that we consume stuff. What is idolatry following an idol? An idol? It's ultimately consumption of something, something that's not healthy for us. So he's saying, I will allow you to consume the good things for me, the good things for me. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord. So note, he says, rest multiple times. How many of you need some rest? (laughs) Amen. Go ahead, take a nap right now. There's rarely a time you'll hear a pastor say that. Please take a nap. (laughs) I myself will make the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. So notice, he's saying, all the things that your leaders didn't do, I will do for you. I will look for you. I will bring back the stray. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. But then he adds something here. He says, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. So he's talking to the shepherds here, and he's saying, for those of you that are doing doing it the wrong way, you become fat. You become unhealthy. And as a result, I'm going to judge you. Because there's people in your midst that are weak and thin and frail and injured and hurting, and you're not tending to their needs. So it's not just that he's speaking to us as sheep. He's speaking to the shepherds. And the challenge for all of us is to say, who in our midst is hurting and injured and needs healing? Who's scattered in our lives that needs relationship? Who needs close proximity? I I wrote down uh, something here. I said, uh, so I was in reflection, how do you think God feels about sin? I said, as an adult, when you see a child in disobedience, what is your hope for them? Think about that. When you see a child in disobedience, what is your hope for them in their disobedience? Is it right behavior or a transformed understanding? Do you prefer for them to do things the way that they should do them or have a transformed understanding so they don't do them again? Which one? Yeah. I mean, the right behavior only works for a certain period of time. But we know like when challenge comes, those dark clouds come, right behavior can tend to go out the window. But a transformed understanding, on the other hand, doesn't. And so I was thinking, a child in disobedience When you're transforming a child in their mind, do you push them away and yell at them and say, this is all the things that you're doing wrong? I mean, sometimes. (laughs) Because we're not perfect parents. We're not perfect adults. But other times, when we're really trying to connect with them, what do we do? I'm hoping this is unlocking. We get down at their level, and we say, come here. And we look them in the eye, and we encourage them. We say, I love you. I care for you. Do you see how this is hurting you? And we walk with them. Or is that my experience? That's what my parents did with me. That's what I try to do with my kids when I'm not super angry, right? Did you do that? Did you experience that? Something about that transforms it's the close proximity that transforms. And God is saying, my clo- this, is, this is all about my close proximity to you. It's going to transform your understanding of who I am and who you are. So he keeps on going. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, I shall judge between the sheep and sheep, between rams and goat. 
So he's saying in the midst of it, I'm not going to use us as an example because you all are amazing, but there are some places where we say like Christians, right? Like they're Christians, but by their fruit they shall be known and there's not a whole lot of healthy fruit there. And he says, I'm going to judge that. So he's saying like, and, and, and this is, I'll just read it to you. Verse 18, is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture? When you drink of clear water, must you foul the rest with your feet? You know, this is another way of saying, you've enjoyed grace and you've enjoyed my nourishment and my proximity. Like, how dare you go around and trample it so other people can't? How, how dare you use the grace that I've given you as a means by which to push people down. It doesn't sound like religious. I'm not going to say a name, but have you ever, uh, of, the, of the, the church, but have you ever seen on the news the people that are standing outside of like uh, pride parades and stuff like that, and they're saying they have these horrific signs about God's judgment? Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture? Rather than bringing people into close proximity, they're scattering them. They're saying, judgment, 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 judgment. That's really a critical understanding that we need to have. It's God's bringing people into proximity. He's bringing people into close, to closeness. And he's saying, but the grace that you exercise, the grace that you enjoy, the grace that you experience in your life, what are you doing with it? And that's a challenge. I know this is really challenging. But this grace, this life that he's giving us, this nourishment that he's giving us. Are we calling people like, hey, there's some really green grass right here. Come on. Are we like, oh, no, that's my grass. You can't have that grass. Or we're like, you can't have that grass, so I'm going to step on this because this is for me. And we hoard it. It's my grace. It's my Jesus. And must the sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have had with your feet? And so he says, thus says the Lord God to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. I guess I'm safe because I'm a lean sheep. Um, <laughs> right? That's not what he's saying. And I put that on purpose because he's not talking about the physical specimen of the sheep. And that's what like, sometimes we take it too literal, like fat and skinny and all that. No, he's talking about your healthiness, your spiritual health, the grace that you're consuming. Is your idolatry what's making you fat? Is your poor leadership what's making you fat? Or are you lean because nobody's come up and healed, been a part of the healing of your wounds? Nobody's walked you through who Jesus is in your pain. That's what that leanness is. Because you pushed with flank and shoulder and butted all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide. So not only are the leaders responsible, but we can be responsible for the scattering of people by the way that we live out our faith. I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be ravaged, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. Here's the hope. 23, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Who is the one shepherd? It's Jesus. And these are all the things that he'll do. He'll feed them. He'll feed us. He'll guide them. 
And one of the things I was reflecting on, have you ever watched a, sh a shepherd tending to his flock? Does he have them all really close by? Or does he let them roam? He lets them roam. That's a reflection of trust. Jesus trusts us to roam, and we trust him to protect us. Why? Because we know he's feeding us, that there's no other shepherd that's better than him. There's no other pasture that he would bring us to better than the pasture that he'll bring us to. That's really scary, though, right? Because it's a journey to get to those places. He said, Now I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them, and I, the Lord, have spoken. And then he starts, he makes a covenant of peace, and I'll stop there. He makes a covenant of peace. And he talks about all the dangers, all the wild animals. He talks about all the risks. He talks about all the ways that they lived before. It's a contrast. He's saying, you lived absent of peace, but I make a covenant of peace with you, which is wholeness and freedom and life and good. And he closes with saying, that, and this is, and they will now know that I, the Lord their God, and with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I'm your God, says the Lord God. Um, do you know that you're his sheep? And if you're his sheep, what does that mean for our lives? Maybe you're living a scattered life right now, like for whatever reason, whether it's pain or hurt or abuse or life or sin Whatever your list is for why you may feel scattered, he's searching for you and rescuing you. He comes to us. But then maybe some of us are just wandering aimlessly. Because there is, like, that's the thing about sheep is they're constantly looking for food. But maybe for us, we're just kind of like, oh, okay, what am I going to do? Like, you don't have direction in your life. And God says, I will provide you direction. He's going to roam and reflect. Um, I'm going to take a risk this morning. Can I share something with you I wrote a while ago? It's just a little short story. It's about this. Um, this was when I was a scattered sheep in darkness. And it's written from the perspective of a lamb. And I'm going to try and get through it without crying. But um, I don't know how you listen, if you need to close your eyes, or if you need to look... Um, But I'm just going to read it to you. And it's from the perspective of a lamb who I see as like Israel, but also myself that was hurting and broken. And I'll just read it. There was a lamb who was wounded, but would certainly survive. Writhing in pain and discomfort, she laid in the dirt. Her coat was matted, her eyes a bit tired and wild. She kept trying to get up, but her side was too exposed. Sadly, the constant struggle was making this lamb worse, not better. So the, the fight was drained from her. She was losing. Vulnerably, the lamb bellowed. But even then, she felt as though she was losing her voice. She was thirsty, her throat dry from the dust. Tired, exhausted, barely holding on, the lamb laid there waiting for some sort of hope, some sort of savior. Her muzzle was in the, door, in the dirt, 
snorting, dust blowing, trying to stay awake, tears coming from her eyes, the pains of the wounds intensifying. Then the dust swirling around her nostrils began to slow. Resigned to a fate of loneliness, she began to close her eyes in defeat. There were footsteps. Her ears perked ever so slightly. The footsteps were now closer. She could feel the vibrations on the ground, and then she heard it. She heard a deep sigh, a sigh of love, and a sigh of sorrow. It was the shepherd. Slowly and methodically, the shepherd knelt down. He knew that his presence might startle or overwhelm his precious lamb. So he laid his strong hand on the lamb's head, and he said gently, I am here. Then he gently moved his fingers through the matted fur. As he looked the lamb in the eye, he was checking for her wounds. With slow and intentional care, he calmed the lamb, his beloved, while finding all the sources of pain. Each touch hurt the lamb because she was wounded. However, the shepherd's touch became a comfort because the lamb knew that the, the shepherd knew. She knew that the pain was a reflection of the shepherd's presence for healing, not for harm. After surveying and checking, the shepherd gently closed the eyes of the lamb. What an ultimate act of trust for this precious, beloved lamb. Because she needed to know what would happen. She was vulnerable and afraid and scared she would even survive. How could she be this hurt and in the dark? So she began to squirm again, but the pain was too great. As the lamb began to feel the darkness of fear grow, suddenly, unexpectedly, she felt like she was floating. The weight of the ground was lifted off of her. She was free and moving. How was this possible? She wanted to open her eyes and see what had happened. But then she felt the strength of her shepherd and she knew, he's carrying me. The lamb did not know where the shepherd was taking him and that caused her to worry. After all, they are in the desert. Yet just as the doubt and fear once again preyed upon the lamb and she began to open her eyes, she felt his gentle hand hold her face again, and she heard the shepherd whisper in her ear, I am here. The lamb closed her eyes, and this time it was to rest. I don't know if you can identify with that lamb. Uh, I know that I can. In the emphatic promises in Ezekiel 34 is that we are all his sheep and that he all meets us in our broken places. He searches us out and he challenges us to, to live a life of love, his love, because we are his sheep of his pasture. We are his God. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, this is one of those sermons where I feel like there's so much more that could be said, and I don't feel like I'm even doing justice to the promises that you're giving in your word. Um, I pray uh, for, for each person in this room that you would become abundantly real, uh, that, that the ways in which we have scattered or we're, we're wandering or we're lost, um, that you would rescue us from those places. Um, if we're injured and bleeding and hurt, um, that we would allow 
you to tend to our wounds, that you would allow the people around us to tend to our wounds. For those of us that have been malnourished and have been unable to eat from your word and from your grace, I pray uh, that we could be reinvigorated um, to enjoy the pastures of life that you give us, this fresh water that you give us through your word and through presence and relationship. I pray for those of us that are struggling to communicate with you, that can't see eye to eye with you, that we're struggling with prayer, maybe because of some of the past things that we've experienced. I pray, Lord, that you would bring healing and that we might communicate with you again, to really hear you, but also to speak to you. I pray for those old wounds that we carry, whether it's from um, people close to us, uh, maybe parents or grandparents or family members or pastors, uh, whoever it may be, where we have been hurt by them, uh, hurt by their actions, hurt by their words. Um, I pray for you as a true shepherd to bring that healing and that we could look to you for that. Finally, God, uh, one of the most beautiful aspects of this promise is your gathering from all the scattered. And I look to house of God and I see how you've gathered, gathered us all together. And I pray that we would, be, would uh, roam together and that we would um, consume your goodness together, that we would um, freely give this grace that you've freely given us to others in our lives, that we could gather together, but scatter together on mission, your mission, because you are our God and that we could be a church that loves people as we love you, but we also receive your love and receive the love of others. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.